This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Laurie Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing episode three of season two of Lower Decks with the excellent title, We'll Always Have Tom Paris. <laughs> but first, there is some news. And the biggest news right now is that they've released the plans for Star Trek Day. Which is, of course, September 8th, which is the first day of Star Trek in 1966 with The Man Trap on NBC in glorious color. Again, like last year. So last year is the first time that formerly CBS All Access, now Paramount Plus, um, did one of these virtual online events that was hosted by Will Wheaton and Mika Burton, uh, LeVar Burton's daughter. And they're back this year. But it's very different this year. Well, it's live for starters. Yeah, it's like a real event. They are essentially broadcasting this event. Um, It's going to be on the official Star Trek website. It's also going to be on in the USA. So that'll be worldwide streaming. In the USA, it'll also be streaming live on Paramount Plus and via their Twitch channel. Who who knew they had a Twitch channel, but they do. so proud of them. Uh, then it'll be on YouTube after all that. It's being held um, at the Skirball Center, which is in Los Angeles, which is where they're going to be. A, there's going to be a Star Trek exhibit opening in October, so they're going to be surrounded by Star Trek stuff, you know, real stuff from this traveling museum show, um, and they're going to just hold a series of live panels at this event. There's going to be an orchestra. You know, it sounds like you know, like a like almost like a a Will Wheaton talk show for two hours, right? So th- there's going to be a band. Jeff Russo's the band lead. I believe it's called an orchestra. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> and, a couple of guys with guitars. Tonic isn't showing up. It's a full orchestra. Yeah. Uh, panels it, for all of the five new shows with cast members and the creatives behind the show, each show, and a legacy panel looking at the history of Star Trek and its relevance. That's a big deal. And usually when they do, I mean, they're not saying this, but usually when they do one of these things, there's trailers that get released. I don't think we're going to get five trailers, but we're going to get at least one. I think we're getting strange new worlds. We have to. Yeah, it's it's been too long. It's time. It's time. You know, four strange new worlds. Anson's going to be there. Rebecca, Ethan, and Akiva, and Henry Alonzo Myers. So it's going to be a panel and hopefully a trailer. And the same is kind of true for all of the other things where they'll they'll all be a combination of show creators or showrunners and cast members. Discovery has some interesting choices because it's Wilson Cruz, Blue Del Barrio, and Ian Alexander are representing the cast. Sonequa that week, that's going to be like right in between appearances she's doing at uh, in New Jersey and in Atlanta at conventions. So maybe they just... You know, because since this is a real event, she'd have to fly back to L.A. and maybe it's just a hassle for her. But it is an interesting selection. And, of course, it's leaning heavily on the kind of new chosen family. So I wonder if there's going to be a theme to their panel, perhaps. Yeah, it sounds like there is. You know, so looking forward to the five panels. I may actually be going to the event itself, which could be exciting. I would go if I were you. So I think there may be a red carpet situation like there was for the Lower Decks thing I did a few weeks ago. And, of course, TrekMovie.com will be reporting on everything that comes out. The trailers, uh, we'll do recaps of all the panels. 
they've also promised there's going to be surprise guests, surprise announcements. So there are two things that surprised me. One is a panel issue, which, you know, I maybe didn't maybe surprise is the wrong word. But I got to say, if I was doing a 55th anniversary legacy panel and any kind of content, I'd have Shatner in there. And I get that he wants money for things or he's a strong personality, this and that. But you know what? He is such an essential part of what Star Trek is. And we were just talking about this in the Trek movie Slack, actually. But if they didn't want him to go solo or dominate something, there are a million options. I was like, you could have Anson Mount interview him. Like passing the torch, having this conversation. They're both really interesting guys. I think they'd really like each other. I don't know if they've met. But there are lots of ways to incorporate him. And I think it's worth it and kind of essential if you're looking at the legacy of Star Trek. I could see that. I mean, who knows why Shatner isn't part of this? It could be that they invited him and he wasn't available or didn't invite him because they didn't want it to be all about him. Who knows? But it would be nice if he was part of this. You know, the the thing that I find, I mean, this is great, right? It's a great event Mm -hmm. and it looks like last year it was good. It looks like it's going to be even better this year, but it's still very Paramount Plus focused and um, you know, they are Viacom, CBS, Paramount Pictures is part of the family, and it would be nice if there was something in there about the movies. Yeah, sometimes I think they forget that they exist. Right, because they released this trailer to go along with it, and it's really nice. And there's a couple new tiny bits in there. Uh, there's a You can see Q snap his fingers from Picard Season 2. There's a logo for Strange New Worlds. We don't know if it's the final logo or not. Um, but... When you're watching and you go, wow, this is a great television franchise, and there's no clips from any of the movies, any, you know, 13 movies. I was going to say, there are a lot of them. (laughs) So, uh, you know, at some point, the two halves of Viacom CBS are going to start talking to each other again, I hope, and integrating, because if we are going to truly get an integrated Star Trek universe, cinematic television universe, then... Step one will be for the two halves of this giant corporation to start coordinating on these things. Yeah. I think the big te- a big test is that is going to be the Chicago convention. And so we'll see if there's going to be any representation of Paramount Pictures there. Because that convention next year is going to be happening in theory while they're shooting the new movie. The movie that's supposed to come out in 2023. Right, if you, right. It'd be nice to have a panel for that. But everything you said is absolutely right. But this is still a pretty impressive event from what it looks like on paper. It is. And last year I enjoyed a lot. I thought it was great. And the thing, you know, in the trailer for it, which we have on the site, and you guys can watch it if you haven't seen it yet. There were some, some of my favorite moments in that were the ones where they just connected the different series with a similar line of dialogue or a similar theme. And those were just really really well done like Tilly says that's weird and then we see Janeway going weird as part of the job so there are all these great little moments that made me happy a few that I thought were questionable like I'm the only one who liked Chakotay in seven so I thought that was an odd choice but you know um but one thing that made me especially happy was that they included short treks which gave me a little hope that maybe it is not dead not just because they use a clip for short treks to kind of show elements of strange new worlds because there's we still have no footage from that show no but the other ones were in there 
Right, but they should – yeah, they had stuff from that and they threw up the logo because when they were running through all the logos of all the shows, yep. old old and new, um, Short Treks was listed. Now, it is part of the Star Trek canon, so it could have just been listed because it exists. But uh, yeah, maybe there is more life in that little series. I hope so. So this is all in two weeks. So two podcasts from now, Lori and I will be going all over this as we also review the episode of Lower Decks for that week. Yep. And we'll have everything on the site so that you can know where to find it and how to watch it. And then just one more note, which is um, Alex Kurtzman is not on the panels. That is not because of some weird conspiracy that fans like to talk about. It is just because he's got a lot of shows going on right now and he's in the UK working on one of them. So that's why he can't be there. Specifically, he's working on one with Kate Mulgrew. The man who fell to Earth. Let's talk a little bit about Star Trek Discovery in that we had a milestone this <laughs> week. It was on Monday. And that is for the last few weeks, we keep on saying they're going to end any time now. And they finally did. This This is the week. They're done with season four. It's in the. It's not ready to show, but they're done shooting. That was a long haul. Doug Jones said on his Instagram that he's been in Toronto for 11 months. That is a long time. That's longer. It's a longer time commitment of any Star Trek season in Star Trek history. Yeah, it has sure. to be. It's crazy. I mean, even back when they were shooting, what's the longest season? 26 episodes back in the day? I think it was 26 sounds about right. And I think they'd have like two months off or something before they had to go back. At least. So... Uh, this is this has been grueling for them, and I'm sure they're all happy that it's over. <laughs> but you know what? Kudos to all of these shows because no COVID outbreaks, really. I mean, they managed to do it all and stay safe, which is impressive. Right. A lot of shows had to shut down. A lot of shows took long breaks. When these guys took breaks, it was because they were being preventive. And I got to say, it's it's a tough task, and they did it. By the way, the announcement that it was over came from co-showrunner Michelle Paradise, who oversaw the final weeks of production in Toronto. And she was also uh, tweeting about how she's doing double duty because she's also editing season four. Season four is still set to come sometime this year. We still don't have a date. Another thing out of Star Trek Day, I'm expecting our dates for Prodigy and Discovery, because it seems like weird that they haven't given us dates for those yet. But hopefully for Picard and maybe even Strange New Worlds. That would be nice. I think there's no way they won't do Prodigy and Discovery. And our our bets are Prodigy is going to start in mid-October and Discovery is going to start in late December. I'm still betting that Picard arrives in mid April ish. Um, and then I'm, I, then things start getting more fuzzy uh, after that of which, which comes first season three of lower decks or season one of strange new worlds. I think it's gotta be season one of strange new worlds. Probably. Even though I, you know, I talked to Mike a couple weeks ago at that party and he said, well, they're, you know, they're, they'll be ready if they want to do August for the third year in a row. Even if they end up showing in, the fall after strange new worlds. So we'll see. Right. We had a bit of Picard news um, from our usual chatty source. 
I mean, it's not quite news. <laughs> it's just sort of as something that John Delancey said um, to someone who was in a cameo for somebody who loves the TNG finale, All Good Things. And he said, there are a lot of elements about what I'm doing on Picard that have a kind of connection with All Good Things. And then sort of qualified, he said, in terms of the breadth of the acting and what have you. You know, is it a spoiler? Actually, not because it was already in the trailer. You know, because they yeah. that the whole the whole line of the trial never ends came, f- which was in the first teaser trailer, was one of his final lines in All Good Things, and earlier in the you know one of his other messages, he did imply that there's a trial for Picard in, in on Picard season two. But more importantly, because if you remember all good things, it was alternate timelines, time uh, travel, and we know that that's happening with season two of Picard. Since I mean, they, they said you know, time about 400 times during the trailer. Yeah, well, and they showed us what is clearly an alternate timeline. Everyone's wearing the wrong uniform, et cetera, et cetera. So we're definitely going to get that kind of feel, even though Delancey has also said this is a different story. This is a different cue. It's not going to be the same, but uh, there's definitely elements for sure. But I still think that this all ties into my theory that this is more like all good things than it is like tapestry. And just like in all good things, something's happening. The big question is why are they all in an alternate timeline? And so did Q make that happen or is he helping them deal with that? I still think he's, it's more like he's helping them deal with like, like in all good things where Q was kind of guiding Picard to the solution, but he, tapestry Q sent him to the past to teach him a lesson, right? This I think is different in that, you know, they're, they'll, they find themselves in some place I mean, it's a small thing, but we do see Q snap his fingers in the uh, the trailer. Yeah, but you'd expect, I mean, that's something you would just expect. Right, but he's already in. Q shows up after Picard finds himself in this weird timeline, right? Comes into the house. He, he's looking for his Romulan pals. They're not there, obviously, because he's in an alternate timeline. Therefore, why would they be there? And then Q shows up. If Q caused this all, you would think he would show up before and snap his fingers and make it happen. So I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm not agreeing that that is enough evidence. <laughs> but I'm not saying I'm not well. Saying it's not. Wrong. It's not iron. It's not ironclad. Yeah. But it fits. It, it, it all would, fits together. It wouldn't hold up in court. Is all I'm saying. Well, nothing would hold up in court until you know we actually see it. <laughs> So Delancey's done. He was actually recording his cameos on his boat. He is a sailboat. He's it's his greatest passion is sailing. He was saying he was taking you know, four days off after he'd finished work. Um, but the show's still shooting, or at least it was shooting last week. Um, the showrunner tweeted out a picture of a red alert sign from a bridge of some ship. Um, we don't know what ship, um, but a Starfleet. So it wasn't La Serena, I guess. They could be shooting the finale right now. They may be transitioning to season three. We don't know because all the other shows are done. They're still going, but it could be that they're done as well on season two and they're just moving on to season three. Yeah. 
that makes sense to me. Just one other quick thing about John Delancey, which is if you check out the post on our website, which we'll have a link to it, there are a lot of interesting theories in the comments. I mean, some not so fabulous ones too, but there was someone said, oh, he's going to go back to where he never had the Enterprise meet the Borg, which would explain um, Seven of Nine being Annika and not having any Borg implants. So there were just a bunch of interesting theories and they're worth a read and a ponder. All of their promotions have got fans talking and thinking and pondering. You know, we're doing it. They're all doing it. So it's, it's working. They know what they're doing. You bring in Q, you, you let them go off on cameo and talk and you don't shut them up. So it's all, it's all creating, you know, interest in the show. I think possibly, bringing some season one skeptics back in to the fold. Cause it's all kind of interesting to them that, you know, all these connections to the next generation. So we just passed another milestone, which is what would have been Gene Ronberry's 100th birthday. So this actually happened after we recorded our last podcast. That's August 19th would have been Gene Ronberry's 100th birthday on that day. NASA held a virtual panel celebrating Gene Roddenberry. Uh, George Takei was part of it. Rod Roddenberry was part of it. And the Roddenberry Group Foundation has been doing this thing all year long of having celebrities post videos on the internet of quotes from Gene Roddenberry. Um, there's been all sorts of great people doing it. And in this case, NASA beamed a quote of Gene's into space. Yep. That's kind of cool. There'll be a link in the show notes. It's hard for us to do it all justice, but you know you could read our coverage and or watch the full event at uh, trekmovie.com. On the same day, Roddenberry Entertainment announced via the Hollywood Trades that they are developing a biopic for Gene Roddenberry. Which the guy had a really fascinating life and was a very complicated colorful person well before he was star trek creator gene roddenberry he was an interesting guy he was a pilot he was a cop you know he was in two plane crashes he's kind of a hero in at least one of those plane crashes so things happened to this guy um and then of course star trek and then he moved on from that so they've hired a writer uh they're looking for director they're looking for a cast now this is Rod Roddenberry and um, his producing partner, Trevor. They're, you see their names with every new Paramount Plus Star Trek show listed as executive producers. The big question is, is this thing ever going to happen? Because there's no detail on financing. There's no distribution partner. So movies really happen when you have distribution and financing. So I think this is an idea that they're developing. But uh, I'm not sure that we could say that this is definitely going to happen, even though I do think it would make, you know, it's an interesting subject. The other thing is with Rod so closely involved, hopefully he can allow for a project like this if it does move forward to be, you know, a completely honest project that the Gene Roddenberry was an amazing man, a visionary, a legend, um, but he was a man. And he made mistakes and um, all of that kind of stuff. So 
uh, all the great biopics, if you, you know, think about them, always were honest and real and showed you who these people really were and what drove them. So if I were to watch something on Gene Roddenberry, that's what I would want to see, not a kind of tribute. So hopefully this happens. Yeah, I'd be very interested in seeing it. Um, There's one other funny tribute that took place, which was, you know, last week on the podcast, we were talking about the lyrics to the Star Trek original series theme. And then it turns out it was on Robert Picardo's mind as well. So, you know, he has a lot of fun making these videos. And so he went out and he said, basically said the lyrics, did you know there are lyrics? They're terrible. And I'm going to sing them. And then he sung them and he did a great job. It was very funny. And that's uh, there's that's in the article, right, Tony? Yes. Uh, a little bit of merchandise news. Um, Star Trek, the official Star Trek magazine, which comes out quarterly. It stopped coming out earlier this year. Ending on issue 79, just like the original series. I thought that was an interesting number. Yeah, it wasn't planned <laughs> because they did announce... I know, but well done. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. It is true because they, they announced an issue 80 that never happened. That was supposed to come out in, in the spring. But then they just announced that the magazine is relaunching as a brand new magazine called Star Trek Explorer with a new design. There's a new editor and you know, it's going to be a lot of the same kind of stuff, but with a new look. But they're also going to have uh, Star Trek short stories in it. And there's going to be these little mini magazines inside of it. Um, the first one's going to have a mini magazine all about Kirk. Uh, the first issue is going to have a lot of interviews with people from Discovery, including Michelle Paradise. And David Cronenberg. And, yeah, which is rare because he's never given a Star Trek interview. Um, the dates of this release is on... November 2nd. When that magazine comes out, we'll have a preview of it. So look for that on the site. One last thing is that they did send us uh, the covers for the first couple issues, one of which is a nice cover from Discovery, nothing new. But the other one is this beautiful old school shot of the USS Enterprise over a planet. I'm not not really sure. It could be a James Blish or, or something in that style from the, you know, the old uh, book covers he used to do back in, back in the day, seventies and eighties. So uh, check that out on the site. Yeah. That image I thought was beautiful. Got me excited about the magazine for sure. Good job. Before we get into the episode for lower decks, there's some, you know, just little bits of lower deck news to catch you up on. Go to trekmovie.com or go into our show notes. We did an analysis of a trailer that kind of just, quietly was released on the official site which was a this is what's coming in season two and it does have a lot of footage from beyond the first three episodes so there's still stuff to check out in that um you know it's a lot of this is the kind of stuff you're used to seeing some familiar things some new things but a couple of things that caught my attention in there reminded me something we were talking about a couple of weeks ago which is there's a couple moments in there that are, you know, just straight out of Star Trek. It's w- meaning there's a scene showing Rutherford reenacting the famous Star Trek two scene where Spock has to go into the warp core. And we all know what happened. Yeah. 
It's it's just like that Star Trek V rocket boot scene that we saw in another thing. You know, what I've been liking about the season so far is they haven't been heavy handed with the Easter eggs. And the same thing is true of episode three, which we're about to discuss. Even, you know, episode two had like a million Easter eggs. We It was hard for us to even write the article about them, but they weren't, you know, they were all background gags for the most part. Yeah, if you didn't if you didn't know them, it didn't affect the way that you watched the episode. Yeah, so I'm a little worried about these kind of just lifting whole moments from Star Trek history and recreating them on the show. But I'll give Mike the benefit of the doubt until I see them. But I'm I'm a, a little worried about that kind of stuff. Yeah, a little apprehensive. I'm not even sure. I would say apprehensive. Oh, okay, well that's good. I would say co- concerned. <laughs> or which is <laughs> it's lower lower grade than apprehensive. All right. And by the way, you know, do check out the site for our every week we do a full Easter egg breakdown, and the one we did for the um, last week's episode was very long. I thought it was going to break you. It was there was too much. At some point, I'm like, we got to just stop. There's too many things going on in that episode, last week's episode. But it's again, they were not in your face, but just when you look around, when you freeze frame, you're like, oh, that thing and that thing and, you know, Odo's bucket. And, you know, it's just it's like every everywhere you look, there's something. Well, there was a collector who collected things so that kind of gave them license to stuff things into that into those rooms. It made sense. But, you know, we highlighted some of our favorites like uh, Dr. Crusher's sex candle and stuff like that. <laughs> There's also just a couple other Lower Decks things we want to cover. So there's, in case you haven't seen it yet, there's the Star Trek Logs Instagram account, which is doing, they were doing this for uh, Discovery the last time it was on. So every week there's a new log entry from one of the characters. So they had Ransom for 201 talking about becoming a god. And then uh, Mariner is in the second one. And there'll be one every week. So we'll put up a link so you can find that in case searching on Instagram is taxing. Yeah, and these are done by the actors in character. Sometimes you actually learn little bits. You get little hints about what's to come, stuff like that. It's worth checking out. Last bit of news is for our international fans. If you're in one of those countries where you're watching Lower Decks on Amazon, it came out late. You know, it didn't show up until season one didn't show up till January. Luckily, season two is showing up at the same time as it does in the U.S., but it also delayed the Blu-ray release, which is already out in the U.S., but now, you know, in, in Europe and Australia, the U.K., Japan, the Blu-ray is coming out in November, and there's details at trekmovie.com. And a full review. Let's talk about episode three. We always have Tom Paris. We'll always have Tom Paris. <laughs> he wasn't just a plate. He was there in the flesh. Well, in the animated flesh. Yeah, the title gives away a big part of the episode, but... In a, in a similar way, because last week, Kayshawn was a big deal to be introduced, but he spent most of the episode as a puppet. <laughs> so in this one, you know, so t- Tom Paris is a big deal, but he's really not that big of a deal for the episode, right? He's, no. he's, part, of a, he's part of the B story. He is more than just a plate, for sure. But I, I like, I, I, but I like that, that. They bring on a cameo legacy character. They integrate him well into the story. It's it's organic, but uh, it's not the whole thing. It's not all about Tom Paris. So overall, what are your top level impressions of the episode? Let's start big before we drill down. Well, I would say 
in a way, like I did for the first episode, good, not great. Solid Lower Decks episode. Um, it fitting into the pattern of season two of leaning into more character development, um, which is good, but still very funny. And, uh, you know, I, I loved last week's episode so much that this week's episode is good. It just wasn't as good as last week, but last week is maybe one of the best ones of the entire series so far. And yeah, so that's that's kind of how I feel about it. We'll get into this a little bit later. I'm not sure we needed three stories. I think it might have worked better with just an A story and a B story as opposed to trying to have an A, B and a C. But we can get into that. Uh, I would say overall, I, I didn't like it as much as the first two. I mean, I really liked the first one, I think probably more than you did. I know you like them all, so I'm not saying you didn't like it. Um, I didn't like it as much. I felt that there was like the sort of the chasing of, I really liked Mariner and Tendi being teamed up, but the chasing of them got kind of boring and I wasn't as interested in that. And the funny thing is I had a little, I've, you know, I watched it a couple of times. So at first I was sort of not happy that Boimler was still having his own adventures and wasn't integrating as much. But then I actually thought that they, used it was such an organic way to show the difficulty of him transitioning back because of these security protocols so the idea that on his he's back on his own ship but he's not really back on his own ship was worked with the theme in the end and then i went you know what i actually like that plus i thought what a unique idea that they never really did on any of the shows for a security measure which is that the doors don't work and the replicators don't work unless you've been authorized to use them. Like, that is a smart way to contain an enemy. These are new security measures specifically because of the packlets. Well, we'll see if the uh, they actually work because at some point the packlets are probably going to show yeah, up on the ship. They'll be back. But overall, I felt like I liked the smaller moments more than I liked the big ones. Like, the big story, the stakes didn't feel that high and... It wasn't as interesting to me, but there are lots of small bits along the way. Yeah, it was all good little character beats. I guess we disagree here because I, my favorite of the three stories is the, um, was the Tendi Mariner one, although mostly because of the character development for both of them. And then I really liked the Rutherford Shacks story. And I just felt like the, Boimler's story felt a little tacked on to me, and I, I wish maybe they figured out a way to get the Rutherford and Boimler story together, but maybe this is a kind of a bigger issue of, could they do an episode of Lower Decks where one of our four main Lower Deckers didn't get a storyline? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they could. I don't. I don't know. This, actually, I found the Rutherford Shack story to be the weakest because it was just kind of a cop out in the end. Like, we're not going to tell you. It's just horrible. So it to me wasn't as it was like a joke, but that was kind of it. Whereas the Boimler stuff, when I watched it again, I thought that it actually had a deep had more resonance. So, yeah, I mean, there is the whole um, metaphor there of reintegrating onto the ship. Um and, of course, the Tom Paris story was also part of it. I guess what I liked about the Rutherford story was that it's an, it's an interesting... Because one of the things that Lower Decks is good at is shining a light on Star Trek. And the fact that Star Trek 
routinely brings people back from the dead. Um, they're, they're basically pointing this out of like, that is a little weird and it's fun how they represent it here where everyone, but Rutherford kind of doesn't think it's a big deal. It's like, Oh yeah. He's, yeah. They do that all the time. Right. They even would list all the different options <laughs> for how he could have come back all the different things. Yeah. But also, you know, cause you think about this of when they, you know, when Spock came back from the dead and was just walking around the ship, like, did they send a memo out to everyone? Right. Did they, you know, like, you know, cause it's like, people are like, wait, wasn't he dead? Like, I mean, it does kind of make sense that people would be freaked out seeing these dead people. And how do you let people know they're back? And how much do you tell people about it? It's funny. Cause we were just making fun of them. When we were in Vegas. We watched a lot of really good original series episodes. And then one particularly bad one, which was the paradise syndrome. And there's like, Kirk's supposed to have been missing for, is it two months, two months yeah. he's been missing. And he finally gets his memory back. He was on, you know, we married Miramani and she was pregnant and all that. And he calls Scotty and he's, and he's like, Kirk's enterprise, Scott here, Scotty do this. And Scotty's like, okay. Like he doesn't say, oh my God, Captain, they found you. (laughs) So just another day, you know, missing for two months, then he's back. So yeah, (laughs) that was definitely a comment. So let's talk about the main storyline, which was... Girls trip, girls trip. Yeah. Again, the show is reflect, is kind of course correcting here in a way. Yep. uh, There's even a line where they're admitting something um, where they say, it's sort of weird. We've never been paired up until now. And they say, we should try different pairings. Like they talk about that. And the fact that they don't know these obvious things about each other that we've as viewers know, because we've heard them a million times. And that, you know, that often happens on a show where you watch a show and you, you know a lot about the characters, but you sometimes don't realize when two characters are in a scene together, that those two characters really don't know each other. Yeah, it's funny. I was just listening to Gates McFadden's podcast and Denise Crosby was on and they started by saying like, we worked together on the same show for about a year, but we never had scenes together or got to know each other. Gates is like, I didn't really know you. (laughs) They got to know each other after. Anyway, so that was good of them to do. And I guess we're going to get more of that. I think in one of my interviews with Mike, he talked about how they're trying to mix it up this season. And that's that's good. Um, And we learned a lot about both characters. We learned backstory about Tendi, backstory about her time as an Orion, which I really liked because it is kind of unusual for an Orion to be in Starfleet, I guess. Yeah. And she said something about like, that's a different kind of Orion, she said about one of them. And then apparently she's also mistress of the winter winter constellations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's in a way they're, they're trying to draw a parallel with her and Mariner because they're like Mariner's is tough ass and she's kind of this nice girl and she's got just as complicated of a backstory, if not more complicated. I mean, what is going on with her and her cousin? Yeah. I want so much more of that story. I love, it was a great tease that there is more because I feel like for sure they're going to get into that stuff more. So yeah. it was nicely done to whet the appetite. This whole thing is because Dr. Tana is having this issue, personal issue, sends her to go get this personal family item. And they first send them to Quailer 2, which I have to pat myself on the back because we saw this in a previous trailer. And people were thinking the shots of this looked like 
They thought it was Free Cloud for Picard, but I said I thought it was Coilor 2 because it had that um, an image of Amari from Unification. Right. Um, and Which is what that planet is from. And it had some other cool, you know, again, these are not in your face Easter eggs, but when you look at the signs, there's a sign for Quarks, there's a sign for Vic Fontaine. Yeah. But there's a. My favorite deep cut there was the Zebulon sisters were also performing. If you remember the Zebulon sisters. They did the choo-choo were, dance. Exactly. <laughs> so that was super, super deep cut. And and what I like is that it's a deep cut to their own show. Yes. Really. <laughs> so things go bad on that planet uh, because they break the uh, sex totem <laughs> from Dr. Tata, <laughs> uh, who's basically in heat. I mean, they don't use the word in heat, even though she's acting super cat-like. Yes. Yeah, the only thing I thought was odd was that Tendi was so excited about the mission and caught up in the person who'd been promoted ahead of her that she didn't even notice that the doctor was like all, you know, her fur's all nuts and she's like making weird gestures and sort of shaking, sort of like, <laughs> that seemed weird not that she didn't notice. Well, she's so worried about impressing Dr. Tana that she can't really look at her objectively. Right. She's just kind of constantly freak out. Um, so Mariner names the sex toy Jeremy for some reason. <laughs> I, I, there's got to be a story there. And um, then they end up on another planet um, that wasn't one we knew to get the thing fixed. And they end up playing Dom Jot with some Nausicans. So sure. that's another callback because why not? Right, and then they end up on the Orion, uh, the Orion outpost, and we learn all about Tendi and Mariner. I thought it was interesting. So Mariner has to go in green skin, in green face, and this this something that is a very twenty twenty one thing, where <laughs> Mariner, you know, who's black, had to kind of go. I'm not really comfortable with this. I hope there's no kick. <laughs> Take cameras here because she's you know she's culturally appropriating even though you know it's a star trek tradition for characters to disguise themselves as other races totally right? uh that, that that's a question of when you you know when o'brien becomes a klingon is that offensive to other klingons <laughs> that's an interesting question I mean, they do it a lot. They were constantly disguising, you know, way back to like Kirk pretending to be a Romulan and whatever else. Oh, yeah. 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 It's it's a time-honored tradition. It goes way back. Well, and, and then the way Mariner tries to fit in is by talking like a pirate. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Ryans are all pirates, of right. course. Right. Uh, they didn't have peg legs and stuff like no, that. And the Ryan goes, why are you talking like that? Right. It was the other kind of pirate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, that was all. Yeah. So no, I I just my favorite bit the the whole episode was the kind of visit to the Orion base. I thought all of that was very fun and um and we learned a lot. Yeah, you know, we learned Mariner, you know, used to be on Deep Space Nine. Yes, and Mariner seems to be. Uh, I don't even want to say bisexual because there was more than that. But she said she likes bad girls, bad boys, bad non-binary people. So she was basically she's very open. <laughs> to everything except Boimler who she says is like a pet and ew you know this gets back to Dax of me constantly wanting them to bring Dax into a show so you you gotta think that Mariner and Dax were friends right sure 
I'm not saying they hooked up because uh, she talks about um, dealing with Worf. So the implication here is she was on Deep Space Nine when Worf was there at the same time. Yep. So the latter half of the seasons of Deep Space Nine, somewhere in the background, there's Mariner on Deep Space Nine. Now I'm just imagining drawing her into existing episodes of Deep Space Nine. And she says something like, this is my fifth ship or my sixth ship or something like that, too. I think fifth ship. Yeah. yeah. We know she was on the Keto. Is she counting DS9 as a ship? No. Maybe. Well, I don't think I would count that as a ship. So there's still more to learn uh, from the Mariner backstory. But when they finally have to escape, they, of course, bond and they realize the reasons why they neither of them are honest with other people because of their own personal issues. Um, so this is another episode where we're having a learning experience, a, a therapy experience. So Mariner continues to grow as a person. This is her therapy season, I guess, um, where she's becoming more in touch with her feelings every day. Although still afraid to, because she says every time she opens up, people get promoted and take off people. And the way it's resolved, of course, is that you know, the doctor doesn't care that they ruined her sex toy. She just wanted the box. Yeah. That made no sense, but sure, whatever. <laughs> so. And then the doctor gets super cat-like. I mean, it's like, it was hilarious. I loved it. Okay. I loved every bit of her rolling around in the box and purring and everything. But it's it's kind of a cheap laugh to say, oh, she's, you know, she's Cation. Therefore, let's have her do all these cat things. But I don't know. It just it's works. It's funny. I don't care. It's funny. Is it racist, though? I don't know. Caddest. It's funny, though. Is it caddest? Yeah, I'd written, gets in and wiggles, purrs, looks crazed. <laughs> and they ra- they wrap the thing up again with, with her in the brig. Mer- so is Meritor going to end every episode in the brig? I'm going to vote yes, or at least most of them. Or, you know, they'll, cha- they'll change it up, and then one week it'll be somebody else. It feels like that's their thing now, right? So, um... I don't know. Maybe. So, which is the B story here? Is Boimler the B story? Is Rutherford the B story? I think Boimler's the B story. I think it's and Boimler. Rutherford, yeah, they, he probably got a little bit more time. Yeah. And, was, you know, there were a lot of really funny beats and moments in that. Like his weird exchange with um, Jet, who's like, do you want <laughs> me to carry you over the threshold like a bride? <laughs> which is just a lovely offer. <laughs> And I was like, threshold. So that was a good word to have in that Tom Paris episode. Um, I loved his whole thing of like calling Voyager Voy because it saves time. (laughs) It does save time. It saves a lot of time. So (laughs) The plate apparently is part of a whole set of plates. He's got Chakotay and all all of them. Yeah, of course it is. By the way, that plate was amazing. I mean, it... (laughs) Like, how did it never break? It must be made out of something. The Tom Paris plate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the way he was throwing it around and all through the Jeffrey tubes. And and, and at some point he jams it into something. The the final moment when he opens the doors and jamming it into something. And I guess the gold around it worked as a conductor (laughs) um, and opened the door, uh, releasing him onto the bridge, looking like a Kazon who are my least favorite Star Trek aliens. (laughs) So that was great. That was all great. Where he's strutting around with the plate while humming the Voyager theme. (laughs) Which is his second theme humming. 
because he did the TNG theme in the turbo lift yep. with the captain once. Yep. So now, now he's got to do them all. Like now it's a thing, right? Yep. So eventually we're going to get all of them. I wonder if he's going to sing faith of the heart. Maybe my favorite part was the computer voice. The Whoever's doing the voice just had this, this little bit of edge Yes, where she was, you know, where she was saying request denied unauthorized personnel, but it was delivered in this kind of snarky way, like really pissing him off um, where the computer knew what she was doing. <laughs> so, so computers got a little bit of attitude. Right. Cause Bormler had to remind the computer, like if it's an emergency, then you don't need the authorization. And then it goes, Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the, the 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 Rutherford Shack story was. I mean, th- this gets back to you know we kind of knew something was up was because it, the actor's name has been in the credits since episode one of the season, and we'd seen elements of him in the trailer. So I guess they're just he's just back. So the, I guess before, you know re- beyond the story, I'm curious of what this means. So. The Shacks died thing. They're just hitting the reset button, and this is a way for them to hang a lantern on that and just say, "Yeah, we are. We're just bringing him back, and we're not even going to tell you how. We just love the actor. It's a great character, and why not bring him back?" Well, there's certainly precedent. But they they gave us a couple episodes to pretend that he did this noble sacrifice and he's gone forever. So it's not like. You know, the noble sacrifice and then one minute later or one second later, it's like, oh, no, you don't have to do noble sacrifice. You're back. No, and they didn't go give a bunch of interviews telling everybody that he would be back. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, it's, uh, I know what you're talking about there. And in case anyone doesn't know, <laughs> we're talking about when they, they killed Wilson Cruz's character in season one and then immediately said, just kidding, he's not dead, he's coming back. Ran to our set uh, on After Trek to tell everybody <laughs> that it would be fine. <laughs> we're not killing the gay characters. We did, I, Anyway, that's, let's not get yeah, into that. Um, <laughs> so, but they, but they, I guess, so they bring in Carl Tart, who was great as Kayshawn. We loved him in the last episode when he wasn't a puppet. And so what happens to Kayshawn? I yeah. guess we'll find out. Um, but we know, cause we know we'll see more of him, but uh, he was briefly the head of security, but I guess um, Shax is. And there was a little, getting back to the little character moments. My favorite bit was when he called him baby bear. Ah, uh, that was, I did like that very much. It's, it was, yeah. you know, sweet and funny. And I, I didn't, you know, to me, it just was like a one joke thing. And then they don't really reveal the the secret, except that it's so horrible that Rutherford just keeps sweating. <laughs> right, the mountain. You know about the mountain, right? The Black Mountain or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I what I hope is that's it. They're not going to ever cover that again. Like, because if that's like step one of a long tease of information, which some shows do, it's like no, don't. You've just just call it a day. Yeah. Jax is back. He's alive. Everyone accepts it. And now I mean, there was the one guy who got dragged out of engineering. So there's one other guy like Rutherford who's like, what are you doing back? No, he got, he got transferred to another ship. <laughs> so yeah, because he wasn't his baby bear. He, he didn't have that connection. 
Although Rutherford may not even know what he means when he calls him baby bear. Cause Rutherford said, I don't really know. I know he saved my life, but I don't really understand what's going on. Right. Cause of course his memory was wiped. So that's basically it for the episode. Oh, those are the three storylines. Do you have a favorite moment or a favorite line? A couple little ones. Uh, when, uh, Mariner says, is he still a salamander? Uh, that was, that got me. Um, talking about Tom Paris and when they're talking about all the different ways you could come back from the dead <laughs> and, and Boimler goes Nexus time ribbon, same thing. <laughs> and the, the moment when Rutherford is surrounded by the different shacks, the mere universe shacks and uh, you know, there are the, all the different ways, the, the Borg shacks that he was possibly, he has the vision of all the possible resurrections of shacks. Right. I, 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 I enjoyed the visual of that. I thought that was really well done. That those are kind of my my favorite little moments. I think out of I mean, besides all the fun like Voyager references, like don't get us stuck in the Delta Quadrant and all that kind of stuff, which is just fun. We're like, did Chakotay sign your plate or your bowl or whatever it was? But my favorite was Mariner's excuse for what happened, which was that a bee got in the shuttle, and she says, "Send the bee to the brig. It's the bee's fault." I just for some reason that excuse just amused the crap out of me. <laughs> it it shows that she is a true friend in that she was willing to throw herself on the proverbial grenade there. Um <laughs> although although what led up to that I thought was funny where she goes for ramming speed and the shuttle just bounces yep. off the shield <laughs> with that like doink and even makes a fun noise when it does it, which is theoretically what would happen right i don't know we're gonna have to talk to some starship people because we have seen ships ram into each other but i guess shuttles are so small yeah that they wouldn't matter but as that much, was a but... good idea <laughs> to explain the broken thing <laughs> yeah no it worked for sure well <laughs> okay work. well now if you want to get well but you also have to show why the inertial dampeners on the shuttle weren't working because it wouldn't matter if the shuttle went from a million miles an hour to zero. As long as the inertial dampeners were working, nothing would have been jostled. Right. right? But hey, why get technical? Plus, it was a bee. Blame the bee. Put the bee in the The brain. bee landed on the button <laughs> for the inertial dampeners. <laughs> and that's what caused it, for sure. Bee. <laughs> so, you know, I enjoyed the episode. Uh, mostly for the character development, mostly for Tendi, who I think has been an underdeveloped character, has been kind of one note, and now she's two note. The door has been opened on her past, and I can't wait for more. I'm glad Shax is back, because it was kind of, I was kind of shocked that they killed him off last season. Yeah, he's a great character. I was I was bummed that they killed him off, because I really like him. And of course, I mean, this, you know, so Shax had a kind of storyline, although he didn't, you know, in this episode. And Tana, you know, they were both catalysts for storylines. Um, but of course, Tana has a thing for Shax and she's in heat. I know. So you're wondering, you know, she had another solution handy. She didn't need the, uh, Jeremy is the point. <laughs> well, she didn't need she Jeremy had... anyway, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, there's always possibilities. Yep. Maybe we'll see that later in the season um, or next season for her annual, you know, whatever the Cation word is for Pon Far. So let's move on to our, unless you got anything else. Nope. Nope. So 
I'll start. Mine is a little bit of Star Trek crafting. I'm always fascinated by people who do crafting and make Star Trek things. There's a thing called a Raspberry Pi, a Pi Pi, and they're these little tiny computers that you could buy, and they're like less than $100. Um, and people use these things to make you know all sorts of interesting things. And some Star Trek fans have taken to creating tricorders um, that are replicas. And so there's a YouTube channel and we'll put a link in and he's got an update where he's built himself a Star Trek, the next generation tricorder. He did a TOS one uh, earlier in the year. There's a lot more room in a TOS tricorder to insert all the computer components. So it's a real challenge to do this with a TNG tricorder where it has a working screen and flashing lights and the, and the whole nine yards. And it's, it's, and it's a, it's an entire computer built into that little handheld uh, TNG uh, tricorder form factor. It's impressive. Yeah. Star Trek fans always are always impressing me. Yes. Um, and the, the channel is um, Obzo one uh, 1337 is Canadian. All right. Uh, go Canada. <laughs> and uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. What's your thing? Mine is also crafty. I got a crafty one too. So of course, Kayshawn Puppet inspired a lot of people. And they're people who were complaining they wanted to buy it. But there's one person named Chandra Crane who decided to make finger puppets and then put up on Twitter an entire tutorial so that anyone like detailed every post has like pictures. She tells you what to buy how to put it together, what the shape should look like, and then how to make the t- the tiny finger puppets. And it's awesome. So we'll have a link to that as well in case you want to look at it or make your own puppet. I mean, it's cute that it's a finger puppet, but she should do the full size. She could. Somebody should. I don't know if you could just scale up her instructions to do. Well, a finger puppet, you just put on your finger. It doesn't like a real a puppet puppet. You would have its mouth move and do different things. As far as I can tell from my little digging, there is no plan currently to have the puppet as a actual product. So, um, but hopefully that does actually happen. Where yeah, you can I would buy like the puppet, puppet and I like the mythical bee. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get uh, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it would have to be huge and heavy. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the box. You need the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? So that's it for another week of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back next Friday, uh, which will be the first Friday in September. Oh, oh my, my God. Oh, Lord. Yeah, it's creeping up. For the fourth episode of Lower Decks and all the news of the week. So come to the site. You will get you can find links to all the stories that we've talked about. Pretty much anything we've talked about that there's a link to, I'll find it and squeeze it all into that header image in one way or another. And we love comments, so please leave us comments. We're happy to discuss anything with you. Bye.